Morning, everybody. I am. I got up this morning and I was getting my clothes together and everything, you know. And um, I had a tie out, but I started to put it on. I was scared to death y'all wouldn't recognize me if I wore a tie this morning, so I just left it at the house. I hope that's all right. And also, just a couple of things. I'm gonna I'm gonna work through a, a text today, just kind of verse by verse and. The reason, the reason I do that, I know some preachers can stand up here and read a sentence out of the Bible and have, like, the whole place shaking in their boots. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I, I can't do that. So I've got to count on the Bible to carry its own load. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in here and, and read some Scripture to you as we get into this thing today. So I hope that that will be beneficial for you. Um, what I'm going to talk about is... One of these messages that hits a certain group of people more than others. And, and, you know, most of the time when we hear a message, like the bad people are the ones who get hit the hardest, right? I mean, if you're, if you're doing something bad and you come to church and you hear a sermon, it's like, boom, it knocks, it knocks you out, right? But this morning, the people who are going to be hit the hardest might be the, the good people. It might be that, that the ones who behave the best, might get hit the hardest this morning. And because of that, that means it's probably going to be a difficult sermon for many of us to hear. And so I'd like for us just to take a second and and ask the Lord to make our hearts good soil. Because here's my hope. My hope is that you will leave here remembering every true word I say. And forgetting all the rest. And so, there's a danger that all of you can hear the same sermon this morning. And some of you, it's going to take and change. Others of you, it's just going to kind of bounce off. Same sermon. And I'm powerless to do anything about that. And so let's together... This morning, just ask the Lord to take our hearts and make them good soil. Can we do that? Lord, I pray this morning that you would let your word be effective in doing the work you've designed it to do. Let it create new life where there are dead hearts. And let it transform your believers into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Y'all, I'm... Has anybody else ever been in any clubs? Anybody ever been in a club? Just only two or three. All right, I don't really believe that, but that's cool. Y'all sitting on your hands or something this morning. <laughs> Here I am trying to preach, and y'all sitting out there lying to me. Great. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was in the club in the third grade. It was the first club that I ever had the privilege of helping to create, you know. And, and my buddies and I just got together. We hung out together every single day at recess. I mean, it didn't matter if there was a club or not. We were going to be together. And we were going to decide before recess whether we were going to be playing kickball that day, whether we were going to be down at the jungle gym, like skinning the cat or something like that. I used to could do a flip on those rings, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't try it now, but I used to could, you know. We would decide what we were going to do for our um, recess time. And, and usually we would end up playing kickball if the weather held up. Um, but one time... In a while, we would go out to this middle playground. And Mercer County Elementary School 
in Harrodsburg. I mean, it's just the most backwards school design I've ever seen in my entire life. They patterned it after a school in Florida. And I've got news for whoever designed that thing. Harrodsburg, Kentucky ain't Florida. You wouldn't, it's, just, it's just not. And, and so we had this big middle area in the middle of the school that was all concrete. The whole thing was concrete. And the playground was concrete structures. We had concrete elephants. We had concrete turtles. We had concrete rhinoceros. And these were the decorations. You could play on these things, you know. And well, from one end of the playground, about right here, there was the concrete turtle. And on the other end of the playground, there was the concrete elephant. And we decided that we were going to have this club. And the only way that you could get into the club was if you could outrun me from the turtle to the elephant. Now, you're looking at me right now, and you're like, well, that don't seem like much, you know. But, but when I was a kid, man, I was lightning quick. I was the fastest kid in my grade, believe it or not. And so we just made up that rule. That's the only way you can get in. And the way we figured was if we want you in, I'll slow down, you know. And, and if we don't want you in, then, you know, you're not getting in. So that was, that was the way we looked at it. And there was a guy named him. Austin Cooper. I don't use the name names, but we ended up being buddies, so I feel like I could say this and it'll be all right. But we called him Austin Cooper, the you guessed it scooper. That's what that's what we called him. He was just that guy that was famous for being unpopular in school, you know. And and we decided, man, there is no way Austin Cooper is going to be in this club. We can't because then our club will be useless. You know, because our club is designed to make us feel special. Our club is designed to make us feel cool. Our club is designed for us to seem like the popular kids. If Austin Pooper, the you guessed it, Scooper, gets into the club, man, we're done. We're done. And so you can imagine what we did. I mean, we decided we had to figure out a way to keep Austin out. And that's where our membership initiation process was birthed. That, that's how that came to be. And you know, it's just kind of funny because I don't think that my friends and I in the third grade are the only ones who do things like that. But it's been happening since the very beginning. I mean, people are just inclined to do things to make themselves feel special, to make themselves feel important. To make themselves feel like they've accomplished something. I mean, from the very moment that God made an agreement with a group of people, they were called Israel. He made an agreement that they would obey Him and love Him. And in return, He would love them and care for them and provide for them. He would be their God and they would be His people. And He gave them a law to live by. And the purpose of that law was so that they could get along with each other. That's what it was for. It was so that they would know how the people of God should treat each other. But it began to take on kind of a new significance because they began instead to use it to identify who was us and who was them. The problem is, they had never done anything to earn their membership in the people of God. And if they had to, they couldn't have done it. In fact, we find out in the book of Jeremiah, God identifies the problem 
with the covenant that he made with Israel? Guess what the problem was? It wasn't anything to do with the covenant. It was everything to do with the people. The problem was they had hearts that weren't able to love God and weren't able to love each other. And it was a problem that was so enormous that the law wasn't able to fix it. Kind of like when I had my BMW, my first car was a BMW. It was an old one. Don't, my parents didn't spoil me that much. You know, it was old. But it was, it was pretty sweet, I'll be honest. And, um, after I'd driven it for about four or five years, I was driving down Bluegrass Parkway, and all of a sudden flames start creeping out of the hood. And I'm like, man, that's going to kill me. I haven't changed the oil in about 30,000 miles, you know. I pull off, and it's just engulfed in flame when I open the hood. And so I take it to the shop, and, and I start telling them, you know, I need you to fix this. You know, let's get this taken care of. How much is it going to be? Can you fix it without my dad finding out it's broken, you know? And he looked at me and said, son, this car is torn up worse than you think. I mean, it's going to cost you probably about $4,000 just to get it running again. Well, I think that's kind of the answer that God would give us as we try to live in a way that's going to please him, you know, and in a way that's going to earn us a kind of membership in his people. Jesus preached a sermon on the mount for the purpose of saying that you're torn up a lot worse than you think you are. I mean, you think that that you can just forgive those you love. It's way bigger than that. You've got to forgive your enemies. I mean, you think that, that you can carry out a system of justice based on this idea of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Well, it's a lot worse than that. You've got to go ahead and forgive everyone, no matter what they've done. And you're going to have to turn the other cheek instead of taking vengeance. He says you think that you can solve this lust problem in your heart by not committing adultery. But it's a lot worse than that. It's as deep as your very heart. And you're going to have to not only not commit adultery, but you're going to have to not even think lustful thoughts. You're a lot more torn up than you think you are. And that's what, that's what the gospel's about. The gospel's about this idea that God wasn't having an afterthought when he sent Jesus to die for us. But he was making a way for people who are morally destroyed to have a relationship with a God who is morally perfect. He wasn't surprised by our sin. The Bible says, in fact, that before creation there was salvation. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. very first thing that ever happened in the history of this world, the Lamb was slain. So God was ready for us to sin. The problem was many people weren't ready for the way that God was going to go about fixing this. In the New Testament, we turn to the book of Philippians. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. I beat you. Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. You see, kind of like my club, there was a group of people in, in the early church who were kind of proud of how they had got to be Christians. They were called, you could call them a bunch of things, you could call them the circumcision party, um, 
they mostly were centered in the Jerusalem church because most of the Jerusalem church was made up of people who had been Jews before they became Christians. And they got to thinking that if you wanted to become a Christian, the first thing you had to do was become a good Jew. That was the way they thought about it. And so in order to do that, what did you have to do? You had to go through this rite called circumcision. Usually it would happen to babies on the eighth day, but it could also be performed on adults. And if you wanted to become a Christian, many of them thought that what you needed to do was go and be circumcised first. You needed to have this outward symbol of obedience if you wanted to be part of our club. And these people had crept into different areas of the church, and they were going around spreading this false gospel, trying to get other areas of the church to believe as they believed. Well, you can imagine. I mean, think about it. If you're Paul, if you are Paul, it's not hard for you to believe the gospel because the gospel is the only hope you've got, man. I mean, you have been killing Christians for years. You need forgiveness. And it's the same for me, man. It's not hard for me to believe the gospel is the only way because i got to have it, you know? I mean, I am aware that I need Jesus if I'm going to have any chance of being acceptable to God. But some of you aren't so bad, you know? You think. And, and we live in a world where, you know, misinformed preachers will tell us that all sin's the same to God. And it makes us think, well, what, is God just blind? He doesn't realize that something... No, all sin's not the same to God. All sin is equally condemning in God's eyes. But God knows that some sins are worse than others. And so because of that, we kind of excuse the things in our hearts that, that we think, you know, may be big in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, it, it's, all, it's all the same. And those of us who aren't guilty of those great big sins, you know, we kind of, we kind of move along. And even though we believe the gospel, and we say the gospel, and we read it, we don't really understand it. The truth is, if, if you were to live the rest of your life and never sin again, you would still not merit the love of God. The only hope any of us have of being accepted by God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And here's Paul in the Philippian church. And this was a church that he loved. I mean, they were buddies. If you read through the book of Philippians, he's not correcting a bunch of mistakes. He's not telling them about a bunch of problems. What he's doing is protecting them against some attacks. These are a group of Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, and Paul's protecting them against the worst possible danger they could face, that of religion, that of a group of people who would have them conform outwardly in order to be a part of their club. So, here's what he says. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. I'll stop right there. You know, we look, 
we look for these outward symbols of, of whether somebody can be a real believer or not. Are you guys ever do that? You ever just kind of think to yourself, you know, what does it really look like to be a believer? And here, here Paul tells us, if you want to see a real believer, it's someone who does the following things. You worship by the Spirit of God. You glory in Christ Jesus. And you put no confidence in the flesh. If you boil that down into one thing, here, here's, here's what he's saying. If you want to know a true believer, it's someone who recognizes that they have no hope outside Jesus Christ. None. I'm scared to death that some of us are counting on all the stars on our Sunday school envelopes to mean something one day. I'm scared to death that some of us are measuring our lives, watching day by day to see how holy am I. Am I measuring up? Am I going to be able to deserve to spend eternity with God? And for anybody who is asking those questions, I, out of love, I want to clear it up. The answer is no. You will not merit the love of God. It cannot happen. And that's, that's what Paul is trying to point out here. And, and he's saying, you got all these people bragging? Well, let me brag for a second. I mean, goodness, they think that they're living a good life? I, if anybody has a right to brag, I can brag. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody that's excited about God's Word... I was so excited that I persecuted the church because of it. If you want to talk about somebody who knows the right people, I know the right people. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am connected. I know the right people. I can boast about that. I can boast about being persecuted. I can boast about a lot of things. I can boast about keeping the law perfectly. Can you? But even I, Paul, cannot boast in front of the Lord. And here's how he makes his point. Let me ask you a question. If I went to the racetrack and I said I wanted to get into the race and I brought them a big bag of trash and I set it in front of them and said, hey, let me in the race, what are they going to do? <laughs> That's right. They're going to throw me out. They might do it anyway just because it looks funny. But, I mean, for sure, when I hand them trash as a ticket, that's no good. And if I bring another bag of trash, say, all right, you wouldn't take one. How about two bags of trash? Can we do that? No. Three. No. And I could pile up as much trash as I want, and it's never going to get me into the racetrack. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I count all these things I could brag about as trash. He says, I have more reason than anybody to have confidence in the flesh. And in verse 5, he starts listing all these things. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Man, I about could have just not got up here because Cliff said it so perfectly. Our only hope is the righteousness of Christ in us. That's it. And that's the reason that Jesus died. God looked at His people. He looked at His covenant. And He said, man, this covenant's fine, but it's never going to work because the people don't love Me. They love their stuff. They love their gadgets. They love looking like they're righteous. They love being somebody. They don't love Me. And the only way I can fix that is just to give them a new heart. Put my Holy Spirit inside of them and give them the ability to love me. A Christian is one who has been supernaturally enabled to love God. And the way you become a Christian, the way you become able to love God, is by placing your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher say, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. So I hope that this morning, anybody who has any confusion about where you're placing your faith, anybody who has any hint of self-reliance in your relationship with God, anybody who's making little check marks on a list of all the good things you've done, I hope you'll dispose of it. Whether you're five years old or 75 years old. I hope you'll dispose of it and begin today with a righteousness that comes only from faith in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel that God knows your sin better than you know it yourself. God hates your sin more than you hate it yourself. Nonetheless, God has sent His Son to die on your behalf so that if you will place your faith solely and entirely in Him, you can have a life that you can never merit. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. The way we get to rejoicing is by giving thanks. That's how we do it. And the way we get to give thanks is by putting our hope in the right place. If you're hoping for ice cream and you get ice cream, bingo, you're happy, right? I mean, that's how it works. If you're hoping for something and it comes true, you're in business, man. Happiness is just a byproduct of our hopes being fulfilled. And so when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, many of us are like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just sit here and push the rejoice button and, (laughs) you know, I mean, it doesn't work that way. What we can do is place our hope in the truth of the gospel. And by doing that, we've plugged our hope 
into a source that's never going to fail so that regardless of circumstances, we always have grounds to rejoice. If we place our hope in our behavior, being good enough, man, that circuit's going to fry. If we place our hope in our circumstances, you might as well forget about it. But if we'll place our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice at all times. That's what Paul says later on in the same book. I've learned the secret of living with much and living with lack. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Doesn't matter how bad life gets, I can put up with it. That's what he's saying. Because his hope is in the gospel. My buddy Austin, y'all remember Austin, right? Austin Cooper, the, you guessed it, it's Cooper, right? Then we had that race, and we started plumb over here at the turtle, and we got down in the racing stance, and it was on your mark, get set, go, and I just smoked them. I mean, I have never run so fast in my entire life. The whole school was out there, not school, my grade, my class was chanting, just like them. I mean, it was crazy. And I just owned them, left them in my dust. I worked as hard as I could to make sure that nobody would think that Austin Cooper could be in my club. And, and many of us, we work as hard as we can to make a very clear definition about who can be one of us and who can't. If you do this, this, and this, you might as well forget it. Out the door they go. But are we willing to work as hard to let the real gospel be known, to be a place where people can belong even if they don't quite fit the bill, to be a place where people hear that God accepts them on the basis of Christ's Righteousness, not on the basis of their own. To be a place where we admit that we fall terribly short of God's expectations. So that those who recognize that about themselves feel free to join. Jesus said he came not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. The great physician came not for the well, but for the sick. The gospel is for those who recognize that we are moral failures, but that God loves us anyway because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. I want to pray for us. I just want to pray that the Lord will let the gospel create new life in dead hearts and transform believers into his likeness.